Hey everybody, welcome to Hell Boys. It's a podcast within a podcast, which is the Overdue Podcast, which is about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. Welcome back to Hell. And actually, we're in the uh, we've we've run into the like the back two thirds of Hellboys where we're not going to be in hell anymore. So that happened pretty quick. Yeah, I honestly <laughs> thought we might be in hell for a little bit longer. But you know, this is still like the afterlife. Ooh. Spooky. These people could have gone to hell if they'd been just a little bit worse. Yes, that's true. So we are entering uh, the Purgatorio. By Dante. Purgatory Boys. <laughs> it doesn't have the same ring to it. Um, so I think we're f- the Purga Boy Rio. Welcome back, Pur- Purgos, to another episode of Purgatory Boys, the podcast where we talk about the similar, but I think probably a little less exciting second entry in the in the three volume dante's inferno thing yeah, the divine comedy you mean divine comedy thing see there's a reason why i think people refer to it as the inferno sometimes and sometimes it's because they forget that the whole thing is called the divine comedy and sometimes i think it's just because the inferno is the most memorable part the like the most popularly referenced part well let's we're gonna dive in today why this one is still around, I guess. Um, so we're, again, we're talking about the Purgatorio by Dante. It's it's the second section of the Divine Comedy, and we are reading the translation. Boy, is it funny! It's pretty funny. It's Dante's just as funny as ever, just as sharp as ever in this second special. That he I'm did. glad they gave him another contract. Um, the translation is by Robert and Gene Hollander. Uh, and we are at Purgatorio Cantos 1 through 11. I think our goal is to move through Purgatory in three Hellboys installments. Um, and then we'll we'll find our way into Paradise, Paradiso. Yeah, which by all accounts... So reading the intro to this um, by Hollander is... It's it's instructive, I think. And so we, we knew from the outset, go back and listen to the first Hellboys episode if you want to hear a little bit more author stuff and background stuff. But I think we knew going in that Paradiso is the weirdest one. And it's the one that is the most like dissimilar from the other three. Purgatorio is, in terms of structure, still pretty similar to Inferno yes. insofar as Virgil is guiding us most of the way through this area and we are there's a it is not a descent anymore it's a climb now but you're still climbing through these distinct like areas and each area is dedicated to a different like set of people and even though there's not explicit there's not punishment going on here really but still the the at least the punishment is like you're doing this so you can get into heaven and yes. not you have to do this forever with no hope of ever achieving anything. Yes. But um but yeah, the punishments such as they are are still sort of tailored to be appropriate based on the sin that you are in here for. Yes. So there's a couple things I want to toss out there as reference points um for for us as we move forward. So the beginning of the Hollander intro um, talks about how a contemporary reader, um, it is useful to think about purgatory in Dante's poem as being like a place where some suffering occurs uh, 
and then you go through that suffering to get towards salvation. Currently, like American slang, he says, is usually like we we say it's an experience of harsh punishment. Um, in my experience, it's usually like, oh, I'm stuck in this waiting. Oh, this. Yeah, you know, that's my my experience of the Americanized slang version is actually a little bit different from like I, I don't I also don't view it as a punishment thing. It's like a it's a bad thing. It's a it's not limbo in the Dantean sense because <laughs> limbo is its own specific thing. But I think the way I use I would use purgatory would be sort of similar. It's just kind of a, it is a waiting. Sometimes for waiting's sake, sometimes it just yes. means like interminable waiting, but it's like a between sort of anticipatory state of affairs. Yes, and, and that's not what Dante is doing here. Um, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and I got this from Catholic.com, um, defines... The official resource. <laughs> I think it might be, I'm not sure. Um, defines, it at, defines purgatory as purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. Um, which is experienced by those who, quote, die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified. Um, and then Britannica uh, says that purgatory answers the human need to believe in a just and merciful cosmos, one in which ordinary people, neither hardened sinners nor perfect saints, may undergo correction, um, balance life's accounts, and heal troubled memories. And that kind of ad addresses one of our big questions, I think, coming out of the Inferno, Andrew. I know you asked it a lot. It's just like, what happens if like you do feel bad about the bad stuff you did? Can you get to heaven? Like, there was a lot of as people long as in you, hell. As long as you didn't do one of the things where you're... It's so bad that your like, soul goes to hell before your body even dies. I forgot about that. Yeah. That one is just, I still, it sticks with me because it really seems sort of, I don't know. It seems like it goes against the spirit of the whole thing. Yes. Because there is a whole, like, we'll talk about it. There's a whole area of purgatory or not of pur purgatory, like in this purgatory area, but sort of outside the walls where people who like repented late. Yes. Are and it seems like for an area like that to even exist, there shouldn't be stuff that's so bad that you that couldn't get you in. You just like for you forfeit your ability to even do a deathbed repentance. That's true. You know? Um purgatory as an idea is like debated in and out of you know, it's a it's held within most Catholicism. Some other sects of Christianity don't believe in it. They don't think that there's textural Textual evidence for it. Sects. Different sects of Christianity. Sects. I'm just making sure we really enunciate the T on that, on that one. Yeah, sure. Um, sects. And the what purgatory is, whether or not it's a state of being or whether or not it's a place, thus dividing the afterlife into a triptych, is you know it builds up steam in the centuries leading towards dante so that by the time that dante is writing he is kind of codifying a thing that's been out there for a little while within catholicism and like i think our images of hell um that come from him he may have done a lot of work his poem may have done a lot of work to cement an idea of purgatory uh that was floating around out there sure um, so let's get into the, the poem proper, Andrew. Uh, what do you remember about our journey out of hell? Like, what, I don't, we, You go listen to episodes of folks need to know, but like, what has just happened? So we met Satan, literally Satan. Yes. 
And he seemed pretty preoccupied with stuff that people in antiquity had done, which is kind of par for the course for our tour through hell. Uh Uh-huh. And like we talked about last time, I don't know if that's what everybody sees. I don't know if that's just what like Dante and Virgil see because that's what the what they know. Yeah. But we met hell. Well, we met Satan in hell. <laughs> and then we kind of just like brushed past him and left. Climbed down his butt and ran away. <laughs> we ran away. We climbed back up. And at the end of Inferno, we are like back up on the surface of the earth looking up at the stars, I guess. And what we learn in this one in like Canto 1 is that we are... Not in Kansas anymore. We are on the other side of the earth, which does... There's this whole thing in the intro where Hollander is talking about, like, the, the all the stuff they talk about with the stars means that they're aware of, like, the earth being round yes. and stuff. Yeah, I did a little read. <laughs> Which is an interesting, an interesting close read. Yes. There was also a bunch of stuff about time that I didn't, that really kind of made my eyes glaze over, but is apparently very like hotly discussed among scholars of this thing. Yeah, if you read these particular, like it's scattered throughout these first 11 cantos, there's references to stars that Dante can see in the sky and over the course of the day, like different ones are visible or they're different from what Dante knows and we have extrapolated this over thousands of years and hundreds of years of academic scholarship uh, to be like, oh, he's talking about time zones. Oh, he's talking about the fact that the Earth's not flat, which is a thing that we've known for centuries, and it wasn't like Magellan discovered it. He just was the first to do it with a boat. Uh, people have been... <laughs> people all over the world have been talking about the Earth being round, mostly because of stars um, and like star maps being different, but... Uh, that's what Dante's this we're on the other half of the planet down here it's like when your parents try to ask you if you've heard of a tv show that you've been watching for three years like yes yes mother everyone knows the earth is round we've all figured this out already uh so we're in like we're on an island that's just a big mountain right like that's it's apparently like it's a mountain somewhere in the southern hemisphere is what it said right (laughs) yes um that I think as Dante can see it's just surrounded by water there's nothing else going on um and does anything happen before we meet the old man Cato? uh no i don't think so not that i remember um but yeah so purgatory as as we're going to discuss is divided up into it's like seven there are seven terraces on this mountain but there are also like three other areas two before purgatory proper and then one sort of after oh you mean anti-purgatory yeah anti-purgatory <laughs> and then post-purgatory <laughs> or the earthly paradise and the seven terraces of purgatory do correspond to the seven deadly sins which uh-huh. i was honestly surprised hell wasn't more or like hell was organized but in a way that you kind of had to figure out as you went along <laughs> like this. Sure. This seems to have a cleaner map to it. Well, and cer- certainly there are people in hell for these sins or like some combination of that's them true some version of them. That's true. But uh, yeah, pride, envy, wrath, sloth, covetousness, gluttony and lust in that in that order from bottom to top. And apparently as you go up the mountain, let me find the quote here. Uh, the mount, This mountain is so fashioned that the climb is harder at the outset and as one ascends becomes less toilsome. So I just, I find that arrangement 
interesting because implied in it is a like a an ordering of what sins are worse than the other sins and i'm just kind of surprised that horniness is all the way at the top there <laughs> it's like pride is at the bottom and then horny is the least bad i have also heard about organizing of these these sins as and i think dante talks a little bit about it in these cantos as like versions of love and like pride envy and wrath are like bad things that you do with like how you care about either yourself or another person sloth is like the complete absence of caring about things um and then avarice gluttony and lust are like caring about things too much um sure so that that could be like that's the closest to like you are supposed to love god as god loves you so like if you just learn to do it right and not in the bad ways, like maybe that's easier, which is why that's at the top. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. But those, you know, those were things that were set up in the sixth century, uh, those seven deadly sins. So we've got those yeah. locked down. Um, yeah. So as as we get into Cantos three and, and onward and I again, like I was I was a little surprised in Inferno that the that the Cantos and like the circles and the different Didn't areas kind of bled yep. over so much. And it's I think it's even more pronounced here. Yep. So I don't think we're going to go Canto by Canto as often as we did in Inferno. But yeah, as we as we get past like the introduction and all the stuff about just like where geographically they are, um, what they see like souls arriving right is that the deal yeah so the beginning and they're singing that song the beginning Cato is there he's a pagan who is placed by god as the guardian of the mountain he is very surprised as a lot of the people that we will meet that someone made it out of hell and that that person happens to be actually alive right um Virgil tells Cato that like, yeah, I got to get this alive guy passed because a lady up in heaven told me to. And he's like, just go ahead. That's fine. Uh, But make sure you give Dante a bath so you get all the hell poop off of him. He was in that poop river after all. It was a lot of blood and poop. and just It was bad down there. It probably smelled really bad. Um, A big cool angel shows up in a swift boat. Um, Go to johncarry.com. And he escorts all of the souls... Who are arriving, they are singing a song about Israelites leaving Egypt. Um, Hollander, in his notes, uh, says that this is the first time that Dante is, quote, blinded by the light <laughs> when he can't look at the angel because <laughs> he's so mm-hmm. bright. Sick mm-hmm. reference, Mr. Hollander. Um, mm-hmm. And everyone is so excited about Dante. Uh, Dante meets a bud of his who is in purgatory. Dante's very excited. His, be- his buddy Casella is not in hell. He asks his buddy to sing a song. It's very pretty, and Cato yells at them, and they keep moving. People are kind of psyched to see Virgil, too, yes. which comes up just often enough that you remember that he is there, like, because he is, I don't know, he just, I don't think he knows this neighborhood as well. No, there's actually a moment where I think it might be a little bit later on after they've been climbing for a little bit, because there's a lot of difficult climbing, a lot of just, how are we going to make up these rocks, and... They see a group of souls at one point, and Virgil's like, let's go ask those people where to go. Like, I honestly don't know what we should do. Um, there's a bit... Do you Did you clock this bit? There's a lot being made of the fact that Dante has a shadow in this world that no one else has, and he is very surprised that Virgil doesn't have one. Huh. No, I didn't I don't remember this. This is like bit. early in, in Canto three 
and he's like, oh, wow, I have a shadow down here because of the sun. And then he looks to ask Virgil a question, and Virgil doesn't have one because, you know, he's dead. And he's like, well, listen, man, like, we can't understand God. Like, you have a shadow. I don't. That's just God. And all the people who tried to philosophize are down in limbo. You know Aristotle and Plato. Like, you don't try to understand God, man. I guess after all the stuff I, that, we, that we saw in hell with him, like being able to move dirt and yes. like obviously having properties that dead people don't have, I'm surprised he's surprised. A little bit. A little bit. Um, I'm a little surprised he's surprised. We we meet some of these. So maybe God just turned shadows off on all the other <laughs> characters because his graphics card isn't fast enough to run Purgatorio at, at maximum I, settings. I have played Doom and needed to turn down the settings too. I understand God. I know how it is. Um, they do meet some people in Antipurgatory. We meet uh, Manfred. Could God make a game so resource intensive, so with such good graphics that even he couldn't build a gaming PC that was fast enough to run it at maximum? Settings? Yeah, I think that was Crisis. I think that's that's the game. <laughs> it's a crisis of faith. <laughs> um, we meet Manfred and Balakwa. Who are two guys out in... Classic comedy duo. Yes. I think they're both of the group of people who like... Manfred got excommunicated. Balak was too lazy to keep climbing. Um, and we learn from them about the whole like... I have to be out here for a certain amount of time before I can start climbing. Um, and people need to pray for me which will help me like move up faster. Yeah, so I've I've got um this is about the Okay, so we so we meet two kinds of people out here, right? It's either people who have been excommunicated from the church. Yes. Or uh people Okay, that's that's one group is the excommunicated. That's Manfred, and then yeah. the late repentance, which I think in, includes Belacqua. It's people too lazy or too preoccupied to repent. Yep. So, like, I believe in God, but I just don't make that big of a deal about it, I guess. <laughs> Those who repented at the last minute without formally receiving last rites. So there you get your deathbed. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, repentance. And then the, the negligent rulers. Oh. Who I think their deal, right, is that they just, like, cared about their th- domain, like, more than they cared about God or something yeah, like there's that. A, is that. Oh, man. Okay. There's a couple different things I want to make sure that we get to. Uh, the negligent rulers is cool because, yeah, they're so busy being kings that they can't, they they just couldn't go to church <laughs> and they couldn't be good church boys. So now they just have to like sit in this valley of the rulers and like party for a little while uh, before they can climb. Um, so in, in three is where we're talking about the people excommunicated. Yep. Um it is true that one who dies in contumacy of holy church, even though repentant at the end, must still endure outside this wall for every year he spent in his presumption, 30 unless that sentence is reduced by holy prayer. So basically for every year you were excommunicated and didn't make good with the church, you got to be in this like outside of purgatory spot for 30 years, though you can get your sentence reduced if your behavior is so good that people on earth are praying about how cool you yeah, are. Yeah, and there's a conversation later where Dante and Virgil clear up the fact that like pagan prayer doesn't count. <laughs> it has to be good Christian prayer. <laughs> it has to be good 
pray there's no the credits don't transfer. <laughs> We've di- talked about this. <laughs> it's a different currency. You gotta go see the registrar yes. if you wanna get these prayers converted. But we just it's store policy. Um and then the late repenters, the lazy rulers, whatever, the the people who are not excommunicated but just are not like active enough, I guess, in their in their belief. Yes. Yes. Um I must wait outside as long as in my lifetime the heavens wield around me while I put off my size of penance to the end. Unless I am helped by prayers that rise from a heart that lives in grace, what good are those that go unheard in heaven? So for these people, it's a year for each year of life that they lived but were not like part of the religion. Sure, yes. So not as bad, like way way less bad. Um, in And I guess one would one could argue that if you're talking about eternal life, like... None of this is that bad. I mean, 30 years is a long time, and I assume you would experience time yes. along something similar to, to how we Yeah, Hollander, but Hollander mentions still. that in his preface. He talks about how purgatory is the one of the three realms where the dead experience life at the same pace that we do on Earth. For whatever reason. I don't know why. God works in mysterious ways, but that's how well, it is. Well, did he talk about, like, they still kind of experience events on earth too like they're still kind of keyed into what's going bit. on where people people in hell are really on uh, don't they're, know they're like dwelling on what has happened Correct. but they're not really up on up on the news they don't Man, get the internet i down can't there, I guess. wait to meet all the hoity-toity jerks in paradise <laughs> who are like i made it to paradise <laughs> <laughs> uh i think isn't what kind of sin is that if you're gonna brag about it's it pride like probably you have to go back to the pride, beginning of yeah. purgatory <laughs> yeah you get sent back um cantos five and six uh the the full load of kings comes a little bit later but cantos five and six are like more dead people who are like oh my god dante's alive so cool it's like people are like following around like a backstreet boy or something they're so pumped to see him um yeah that's the uh most famous person i couldn't remember what group harry styles was from i was gonna say harry styles but backstreet boys um i think you just say harry styles i think he's transcended (laughs) one direction sort of beyonce style you you do go up purgatory in one direction you're not allowed to look back um you could just said beyonce i could have said beyonce you're right dang Virgil is like Dante quit acting like Beyonce you gotta like you can't let these people (laughs) and their adoration of you being alive go to your head Um, we meet the like trio of people who got killed or died violently before they could get their last rights Um, that's just another circumstance that might lead you to wind up in purgatory you would have repented you would have you know, confessed your sins on your deathbed, but someone like drowned you or killed you with a spear or something. And so now you're here. If this is what happens to the person who gets killed, I assume that the killer does end up with all the murderers. And I think so. Yes. I'll be interested to know if we meet any murderers in wrath later. I don't, I, I don't know how that will go. I bet not. I bet. We'll see. Um, Virgil meets a dude from Mantua named Sordello who is honored to meet, Virgil, because he's Virgil. Um, and then Dante yells about Italy for a while. He Yeah, there's a lot of that. Oh boy. He just There's that whole run where he's like negging Florence. It's <laughs> right. It's incredible. And I'm not even I don't even really remember how he gets started. I just have a note that he like has it here. Um 
he's talk. Oh, he's he's watching Virgil and Sordello like embrace because of Mantua, and he says, "Ah, Italy enslaved, abode of misery." Pilotless ship in a fierce tempest tossed, no mistress over provinces but a harlot. And then he goes down like one by one of how everyone's bad. Ah, you who should be firm in your devotion and let Caesar occupy the saddle, if you but heeded what God writes for you, see how vicious is the beast not goaded and corrected by the spurs ever since you took the bridle in your hands." Um, and then, yeah, you got the Florence this one. This whole thing about Florence, I think you need to to read it in like a sarcastic voice because that's just kind of the, oh the intonation that I that I had. Um, Athens and Sparta, which made the ancient laws and had such civil order, gave only hints of a life well lived compared to you, who made such fine provisions that the plans you spun but in October do not survive to mid-November. How many times within your memory have you changed laws, coinage, offices, as well as customs, and renewed your members? If you recall your past and think upon it clearly, you will see that you are like a woman, ill in bed, who on the softest down cannot find rest, but twisting, turning, seeks to ease her pain. Wow. So he's, yeah, I would say this is negging to Florence. Well, he did, he's been kicked out of Florence at this point, right? Where he's going to be soon. Yeah. He is not high on Italy, this whole poem, and he blames them for the existence of hell, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he just goes on a real good tear. Uh, yeah, I love hell it. and purgatory continue to remain very Italy-centric. Uh, yes. um, we pal around with Ordello, Sodello some more. He explains the rule about how you can't climb in purgatory when the sun goes down. That's just a rule. Um, it's like you can't go in a public park after the sun goes yes, down. Yes, I think. I bet the I bet the like cool ghosts go and like smoke weed on the <laughs> cliffs at night or something. I think it's supposed to symbolize that you can't climb without God's grace, but it's probably just because the ghosts want to stop and smoke weed in the park. That's definitely yeah. what it is. <laughs> um, and this is where we meet the kings. We talked about the kings and how they all have to hang out because they couldn't go to church while they were alive. Uh. There's like that little bit where some angels show up and chase a snake away, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Which Dante is like, oh my God, a snake? And I think it's supposed to be the serpent from the Garden of... It's, it's un- hard to... Yeah, I don't know that there are that many other famous like biblical snakes. <laughs> the footnote refers to it like there's an interpretation that it's like a little play that God puts on to remind all the people in purgatory like that they can resist temptation because God and his sick angels with their flaming swords are like watching over them, mm-hmm. um, that they don't need to give in to the sins that they're trying to overcome and that it's not actually Lucifer because Lucifer is too busy crying in hell. Um, just think about that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't okay. know if that snake was real or not is really my, my question. Um, it's a metaphorical snake. Yeah, it seems like a world where metaphors could be real. Seems like that's been happening a lot here in hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, we meet Judge Nino, who's the guy that Dante knows. <laughs> Am I wrong? Is that is is that really Judge Nino? Sounds like a <laughs> it's Judge Nino, kind of a daytime TV. <laughs> I think it's Judge Nino, small claims sort of guy. I don't remember. He's mm-hmm. like he's fine, but then he starts complaining about his wife, and maybe he'll he's not going to get any further in purgatory. Um, Dante falls asleep. He has a dream about eagle, and then he wakes up 
compares himself to Achilles like you do being carried by a saint uh and he gets to the gate of purgatory andrew and this is what canto like nine or ten before we actually get to purgatory this is the gate yeah this is canto nine do you remember what the dude does to him outside of the steps of purgatory i will remember when you tell me i bet he's got a sword refresh my memory so dante Mm -hmm. sees the three steps there's a white step a black step and a red step now hollander told me personally That's some color color clash he called me and he said craig the white step refers to your true self which is pure uh the black step is mourning for your death the darkness of your death and the red step signifies the blood of christ that's going to get you into purgatory or something like that unclear mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. then virgil is like hey listen dude at the gate uh, a lady from heaven told me to get here. Dante, you know, gets down on his knees. He does that a lot in these cantos. Gets down on his knees uh, to pray and genuflect. And the angel takes his sword. He puts it to Dante's head, and he draws the letter P on him seven times mm-hmm. on his forehead. Mm-hmm. One for each sin. I, the P, I think, is some Italian word for sinning or something purgatory i don't <laughs> p is for purgatory <laughs> it's my favorite novel um and i think each one of those will come off when he like levels up in purgatory and this is also where he tells him like don't look back which is kind of orpheus style um apparently if you turn around once you start climbing then you get stuck or you turn to dust it's unclear sure yeah. Uh, so because well, you'd like you know that you're the first the first test of this right is the like sound of the gate closing behind him right and he's like well I heard the sound I know the gate closed behind me so I don't need to look back to like confirm that that mm, in fact is what happened interesting interesting right? well I, I guess there's like something about a version of self improvement where you want to be forward looking right you don't want to be dwelling on the past and maybe that's what that's supposed to signify sure um you're you know you're keeping your eyes on the prize as it were uh so then we get into the terraces of purgatory uh andrew what yeah i i knew that it had shut by its resounding and had i turned my eyes to look how could i have excused my fault there we go okay just yeah confirming in fact that that is what happened sure sure okay. sure sorry go ahead so what do we see do you remember what do we see in this first terrace before we see any of the people here dante's looking around we see it's like a is it carvings yeah um i know that there's there's like one of the virgin mary and one of like an emperor gabriel right well, or Gab- something yeah like- virgin mary's talking to gabriel there's one of like an emperor i've never heard of and i instantly forgot who he was but um virgin mary's talking to gabriel and they're just so good these sculptures andrew because guess who made mm-hmm. them i don't know like god, god i think okay <laughs> <laughs> And there's like a couple moments as Dante is like looking at them where he can like hear what people are saying. They're so like it's like a really good painting that has an illusion of movement to it or something. Um, And he is just so wowed by these. Virgil has to tell him like, hey, man, we got to keep moving. Yes. You can't just keep looking at this sculpture. Like it is good to look at them, but like, come on now. Um, and then we see 
like stuff moving and we get another one of those like hey i don't i'm not sure that i'm even even looking at people and it's like a bunch of guys with rocks on them that are you know walking like crouched on the ground bent over um and these are the prideful andrew Mm-hmm. Um and they are like when they finally start talking they are reciting the Lord's Prayer like a really long version of the Lord's Prayer um, that I think is supposed to be not for them but for like everyone on earth which is like supposed to teach them about humility or something mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know I thought this one worked this one had a good like logic to it like we meet um, we meet Umberto, who is like, I am Umberto. Pride is undone. Not only me, but all my kinsmen whom it has dragged into calamity as, and for this pride here, must I bear this burden here among the dead since I did not among the living until God is satisfied. So no specific time frame on this. And I assume the people outside, like the time just refers to their like the time they got away to get into purgatory yes. in the first place. Like it's not, they're not done after that, but so here they're actually, I don't know. They're, they're actually making dependence for their sins. And Hollander points out in the intro, do be mindful of the ones that Dante himself seems to pay particular attention to. Yep, yep. And I think unsurprisingly for a guy who like opened this dang thing, comparing himself to like Homer and Ovid. <laughs> Uh, Dante seems pretty keyed into the plight of the prideful. Yeah, Hollander Hollander notes that like Dante at one point has to bend down to talk to some of the prideful. So it's worth noting as we go, like which of the sins he like physically interacts with. Like that seems listening. To be, I bent yeah. down my face, and one of them, not he who spoke, twisted himself beneath the load that weighed him down. Saw me and knew me, and called out with difficulty, keeping his eyes fixed on me, as I all hunched trudged on beside them. So Dante is sort of seamlessly like succumbing to this punishment himself, yep. just a little bit. Like he is, he is part of this crowd, even though he is just passing through. Yeah, which is kind of neat. I, I. Honestly, like this is this can't these two cantos on pride sold me on the purgatorio in a way that hell seemed really incomprehensible. Like why any of those things? Why were those men turned into lizards? I don't really know. Like why? It seemed bad. It just seemed like it just seemed a bunch of bad. (laughs) Why were those popes getting shoved into the ground? Like this seems more like a oh you were prideful. You're weighed down by it. You can't stand up straight again until you're fully humble. We've got these big portraits on the wall that God made, which is better than any of you prideful artists could have made. So, like, let's talk about the notion of, like, creating a thing, the inherent act of pride that's involved there. Well, then hell is, like, you liked money too much. (laughs) You spent your money too freely, and so you are in this lake of of blood, and if you try to escape, centaurs will shoot you with arrows. (laughs) Like, it's really... (laughs) It's... Way more like Or like fun. you'll get turned into trees yep. and people will come and break your branches off. Doesn't that sound bad? Blah. So like we meet Umberto who is also, his pride is like pride in his lineage and where he came from. Which again, if you think of it as, if you think of pride as like a, I did a thing or I made a thing and you're supposed to give all all the credit to stuff to God. Like taking any credit for yourself is is the bad thing. And he he just like is like, well, I'm just so great because I'm Umberto. 
Um, <laughs> and then we meet Odorisi, who was a notable creator of illuminated manuscripts, which I don't know if you've ever seen an illuminated Bible, Andrew. They're the ones that are like, they're really big. And people have like done all sorts of like paintings and carvings around the text. Yeah, 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 yeah. for sure. Which I thought was interesting because like that is when you're making one, I assume you're like, oh, I'm glorifying the word. Um, but for Odorisi to be here, it's like, well, maybe he was like, um, this is a sick Bible that maybe I made. <laughs> distracting from the word. Yes. Yeah, maybe the maybe the words of God don't need a bunch of gussying up. Um, but and he gives us the speech that is similar, I think, to like Achilles in Hades from the Odyssey, where he's like, "Man, I don't know why we gotta be proud of our art, cause like times change. Your renown is but the hue of grass. Famous fickle, like." We all die and people don't care about our stuff anymore. So, like, why be proud of your yeah, stuff? Like, cancel culture's coming for everybody, you know? It's true. It's true. You know, it's a bunch of milkshake ducks down here. <laughs> um, and then it, it just kind of abruptly ends. I want it to be clear that I'm referring to cancel culture sarcastically yes. because it's not a thing. That's okay, fair. Just That's making fair. sure. Um, I don't want someone to have... I don't want this to be the first episode someone <laughs> listens to and they're like, wow, that guy... That guy should have a Netflix special. He seems really edgy. Um, and it ends with some like little prophecy about Dante and like his people that I didn't really understand. Like Otterisi was talking about Italian guys that I didn't really clock. Um, it seemed important to Dante at the time. And then it kind of cut off midstream. I think there's more stuff to happen on this terrace. But the canto does; it's not all contained in a single canto or two. Yeah, I think we get. Um, I think twelve is the last one that's fully dedicated to pride. Okay, just looking at the outline. Sure, for next time, sure. So, and and from what I've I've also read about these, um, there's a structure to these terraces uh, that is that Hollander has laid out among others that says like there's a description of the physical space. We get the exemplars of the virtue which in this case are like people like Virgin Mary, who's very humble. We get the description of the penitents, the dudes with the rocks. They come up and talk about their sins. And then I guess the thing we haven't seen yet, we haven't seen examples of the corresponding vice. So presumably we're going to see some other examples of pride and then maybe an angel will show up and then we get to, uh -huh. and maybe we fight the angel. <laughs> It's like a mini boss. Well, you got to fight the boss before you get to the next <laughs> you stage get the key of purgatory. And then mm -hmm. you move on. Um, and those are the first 11 cantos, Andrew. I think there is like there is probably like a killer side scrolling kind of contra -esque yes esque shooter game yes. that's themed around maybe not the Inferno. Definitely purgatory. I think, I think the Inferno is just like a kind of a like an art type. <laughs> vibe or something like it's all that games like that already exist but purgatory where each level your character has a different handicap based upon yes the level of purgatory that you're moving through i think we can make that happen. i like that i honestly i don't know maybe it might just be me but i am coming out of these cantos feeling very high on purgatory as a per, <laughs> as not sorry i meant on the purgatorio like i don't <laughs> I don't know that I have specific feelings about the place purgatory, but I kind of like what Dante has set up here. It does as even, I don't know, that quote that I found from Encyclopedia Britannica of all places is going to stick with me as like, it is a, it explains a 
mode of retribution and reconciliation that is just completely lacking in the Inferno and is a little bit more interesting to engage with to me personally. As like, oh, you were this thing. You can learn about and experience this corresponding thing and then maybe you will get better. What I don't know yet, do all the pride people have to go through the other sins? I'm not sure if it's a if it's a thing where you have to I mean the the way it is physically structured, I guess, implies that it is a progression. Yes. That you need to work your way all the way up, but and I guess the the you know the the thing he says, you know, until I please God or whatever. Maybe your the time you spend on each tier is tailored to your specific oh. shortcomings, but yeah, I don't know if it is a strictly a you know you have to go through all of these one at a time until you're at the top thing, or if you can just like skip the like if you were super horny but you didn't eat that much, then you just skip gluttony and go right to. Can lust? you imagine know. all the people on envy? who get stuck on Envy because they're like, well, why did that guy get to go so fast? (laughs) I want to be like him. Why Uh did that guy with the boner just run right past me? (laughs) That guy's just got 10 hoagies in his pants. Well, then you get really mad about it, and then you have to spend even more time in wrath than you had to in the first place. I love purgatory. This rules. And then you get get so tired from being mad that you have to take an angry nap. You get to sloth. Well, and then you're so tired that you just order a bunch of Postmates and you spend all your, you get all this money that you spend on people bringing you food, which is your avarice that you covet. And then you mm-hmm. are, and then you're a glutton. Yeah, and then you're glutton. And then lust. All right. Yep. I think that's, that's it for today. <laughs> Which of the seven deadly sins do you identify with the most? Not the one you do the most, but which one do you identify with the most? Which one do I identify? Like, based on what? Give me, fill me in. Give me an example. Like, if each one were a rock star, which one would you want to be? Well, that is a weirder way to frame the question. (laughs) Yeah, like, do you want to be like Wrath, who, like, breaks all his guitars and fires his bandmates and gets, basically, he's just Axl Rose? (laughs) I guess what is what is the sin you would like to be known for identify with but what is the one you're actually known for and Ooh, I think sure for me obviously lust but actually sloth yeah I would probably I would like to, like obviously lust for me uh, I mean obviously like it's pretty it's pretty clear I don't even know why I have to mention it frankly yeah we're here in Hellboys talking about the divine comedy we'll get to our passage of Purgatorio in a second um, it's by this guy named Dan T yeah Dan T thankfully Robert and Gene Daniel T yeah. Robert and Gene Hollander did a great translation of Dan T's work um, I think I would like to be known for wrath like I'm just a I could You'd like to be known for wrath? Yeah, just like you like to be known as like a like a talented hothead. Yes, yes. Like man, you know, it's worth it. I hate to uh I hate to burst your bubble, but the 
prime window for talented to be a hotheads talent, was like twenty to be a talented years ago. jerk. Yeah, it was like fifteen years ago. Yeah, I think Steve Jobs was the guy mm. who we let be a talented jerk, but then he died, and now there's not no more allowed. Well, I guess my... well now that now those people are just like they're just kind of jerks, right? Yeah, they're not even canceled because they still have all their billions of dollars. They're just jerks. Um, but maybe I'd be known as a talented hothead. And then what am I actually? Uh, yeah, what are you actually? It's a probably a little bit of gluttony and avarice, like gluttony <laughs> vis-a-vis for chips, chips. Uh-huh. Um, and like avarice, and then avarice because you want so, so many chips. <laughs> well, I think I can sometimes just get like <laughs> distracted by shiny objects, and not in a way that is sloth, but in a way that like my attention goes to things in ways that is not necessarily constructive and. It, hmm. it it's like I'm not sure I can I'm not sure I can pick out what you're talking about because I like with me obviously you can see the lust and then also also the sloth yes I can see the lusty sloth I see a glutton I'm so horny and lazy <laughs> I see a glutton um that does not always use his time wisely because okay all right all right yeah. like you're always washing the dotas or something well i just get interested in things i'm an enthusiast and you know sometimes it doesn't always help people anyway we're talking if i had known if i had known that you were going to give my greatest weakness is that i care too much as your answer <laughs> that i wouldn't have asked the question is that its place. own sin <laughs> it's a secret part of Humble hell bragging is the is the eighth <laughs> tier so we are uh, in Dante's Purgatory. Um, you may remember that we are following the poet Dante through the afterlife, though he is not dead. He is a real person. He's being guided by his pal, his best pal, the wonderful poet Virgil. Mm-hmm. Um, and in our last... He often seems frustrated with oh, him, but that's fine. Very, very Yes, because I guess Dante's girlfriend, um, Beatrice told god about her boyfriend and then god was like virgil you got to show this guy how the things work um so toward the end of the because we read uh cantos 12 to uh 22 of this right? yes for this episode um and toward the end of of this run there is a there is there's like a celebrity moment with Virgil yes. that we're gonna talk about that I think kind of summarizes the whole deal uh-huh. between Dante and Virgil. So yeah, that's gonna be look forward to that. Um so in our last um, first we gotta get through all these other Yes, we gotta get through all the tears. We climbed down Satan's butt and now we're in purgatory and mm-hmm. it's a big <laughs> mountain. And last episode we read Cantos one through eleven, which was mostly like People who didn't get to repent or were repenting on their deathbed, they liked God enough to not go to hell, but they had some unfinished business. Right. And then just a lot of explanations of systems. systems. Like we are we are on this island. It is split up into tiers, but it climbs up instead of going down. Yep. And there is this big, you know, as in hell, there's this big ante room like filled with people who are waiting to get to the actual part of it. Yes. And then we just got to the act. We had just barely gotten to the actual part of it when we got to the uh, pride terrace, which uh, Dante seemed especially affected by. And they're still in the pride terrace as the, uh, as the 12th Canto opens, I believe. Yeah. We saw a bunch of people that were like bent over by depending on how prideful they were. Um, and Dante has been kind of walking around with them, bending over a little bit himself. 
Um, because of his own pride, yes, which he references a couple times in these cantos. Yeah. Uh, and as, as we as we talked about, like we picked up from the notes and from our from our research, um, it is instructive to pay attention to which of these sins that Dante seems more affected by than others, because it gives us kind of a window into his own uh, self-evaluation, like his own depiction <laughs> yes. of himself. Well, so, yes. And my annual, at least my dude is kind of self-aware because he didn't always seem to be that way in, uh, in Inferno. Inferno. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're getting into the meat of it here. So um, in Candle 12, we open, we're still on the, on the plateau of pride. Um, he is walking. Just lions everywhere. Yes. Um, I straightened up erect, nice as one should walk, but still my thoughts remain bowed down and shrunken. Um, and he's looking at like sculptures of people who were prideful, figures from biblical and mythological history, like Lucifer and Nimrod and Niobe and Arachne. And he doesn't like and the entire the entire city of of Troy, yes. which I found a little bit interesting because like we've like we've talked about in past episodes, like Dante is big into into Latinists and, and Rome and Virgil in particular, Virgil, who is known for writing a poem where people escaping from the ruins of Troy go on to found Rome. And so to throw Troy in here is to. I, I think maybe it dovetails with his own depiction of himself mm. as, as prideful, maybe a little bit, because it is it's not clear that there is a negative connotation to like every one of these examples of pride. Like surely um, Dante and, and Virgil believe that Troy has like reason to be proud, but it also was destroyed for that for pride ostensibly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, Andrew, I don't know if you clicked on the particular note in this section but I found the corniest poem thing thanks to Mr. Robert Hollander in the footnotes. So right, hit me. in this section where he is looking at the sculptures, there is a constant refrain um, in how all of the tercets, which I, I think that's the right term for the three line stanzas. I think that's right. Um, and he always says, "My eye." For a couple lines, he goes, "My eyes beheld, my eyes beheld, my eyes beheld, my eyes beheld," and then he goes, "Ah," and then the person's name, and then the next one he says, "Now was shown, now was shown, now was shown." Now, when you look at the Italian, it's "Vedea, Vedea, Vedea," and then "O," oh, the name, and then "Mostrava, Mostrava, Mostrava." Now, apparently, if you look at that as an acrostic. He is spe- he is spelling out vom, which I think is Latin for man, or something, um, or or vomo. And uh, Hollander says in the notes, most now accept the fact, despite perhaps an understandable modern distaste for such contrivance, <laughs> 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 which is just like what a nerd, what it what a poet nerd. That he mm-hmm. that there's an acrostic here in Dante's Divine Comedy <laughs> is pretty good, and then I like you know putting that in context with these sections. Whenever there's these like sculptures of people doing a sin, we always get a little moment where it's like, what master of the brush and stylus could have designed these forms and outlines that would astound the most discerning talent? Well, God did. No man ever could. Of course, duh. No man ever could. Um, and then God takes his helmet off and he says, I am no man. <laughs> okay. And then he paints a cool painting. 
So he walks by the sculptures and then he gets to like leave, right? He feels not prideful anymore or less prideful, I suppose. I think he just kind of has gotten it out of his system, <laughs> <Sure>. right? <laughs> um, and he feels lighter than before. He is less weighed down by his pride. And the angel has removed one of the seven P's from his forehead. And there was one for each of the seven sins. Um, which I guess they just... Yeah, and so <laughs> I guess, again, looking at the footnote, there's this uh, supposition, I guess, that pride... And and because it's the yeah, first year yeah. here, that's it's reflected. But pride is the root sin. Yes. It's one from which many of the other sins spring, I guess. So there are seven P's for the seven different sins, but that's all... Like, P is for pride, and P, that's good yes. enough for me. Mm. When the P's that still remain upon your brow, though very faint, shall be as one already is erased, your legs shall be so mastered by goodwill, not only will they feel no effort going up, but they will take delight in being urged to. So, as you climb, it gets easier, which uh, I climbed Mount Fuji once. That's not how it works in real life. <laughs> but it's cool that that's how it works in the afterlife. Sure. Uh, so then we move into the next tier of the cake, Andrew, which is envy. We go up some stairs. Whew, I'm so jealous that you got to tell everybody hmm. about how yes. we are moving on to this next tier. Well, here's your punishment, Andrew. I'm going to cloak you in a big gray robe, and then I'm going to sew your eyes shut with iron wire. What? So you can't see anything. What? I thought this is the most hellish, I think, yeah. of the punishments that we run into. It's like that that sounds pretty uncomfortable. Yes, it's pretty bad. He hears first he hears voices like I think talking about generosity, right? Um and then he sees a bunch of the people who are uh and as the sun is oh, Isn't yeah. the isn't the speaking about generosity thing later with the greed? chapter like he hears people talking about greed and then he meets somebody and they he's like yeah we talk about being generous now but we talk about people who are greedy later maybe you might be right yeah 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 yeah. um oh but yeah but he says this circle scourges the sin of envy and thus the cords of the scourge are drawn from love to reign in envy requires opposing notes such others voices you will hear i think before you reach the past part okay that's what you're talking about yeah yeah, yeah. all right so yeah that it's a foreshadowing of what we run into later cool um, yeah, because like all the many of the sins are interrelated, as we've yeah, you know, pr- pride being the root sin is is the big one, but but each sin also has an opposing, like an equal and opposite virtue, which is sure. usually espoused. Um, usually you get some. Usually the Virgin Mary's there. Usually the Ma- <laughs> you, Mary, she's just always hanging out good. in the background. <laughs> yeah, and every time we hear about a sin. We get a vision or a story or a song about how Mary did the opposite, just in case you were wondering. It's a real sort of Where's Waldo situation where if you look at each of these cantos long enough, eventually you'll find <laughs> where the Virgin Mary is hiding. Um, uh, Dante wants to talk to the people. They still make Where's Waldo books. Why? So in Britain, it's called something different. Where's Waldo? He has a... Where's Wally? Why did they it's very confusing. I was reading about that the other day, and I hate that it's a different name. They should have just let it be the same name. I hate it. I'm wrathful <laughs> about it. I think they, are, they were still doing collections as of 2012 
Uh, the mo- the latest one is called the Wow Collection. I don't oh know why it's called that. But welcome to my new series. Where's Dante? Anyway, sorry about sorry about where's the where's Waldo talk. Um, where's Dante? Where is Dante? Tell me more about the. He's trying he's to talk or the tear. I guess. Well, he's trying to talk to the people with their eyes sewn shut because Virgil's like it's rude to like be here and not let them know you're here right and and he's like hey uh i know there are a lot of people here but uh we got any italians in, any the, house? Italians in the house hey <laughs> um and someone comes forward hey i'm sitting here oh, God. <laughs> a woman named sapia who says um I, Sapia was my name, though I was far from wise. Which in a that's a that's a cool that's a fun pun. Yes, Savia non fui avigna che Sapia. I was I was Sapia, but I was not sapient. Mm-hmm. So clever, Dante. Puns and acrostics. Welcome to the Divine Comedy. Uh, I sought my peace with God at the very last, and penitence would not have yet reduced the debt had it not been for Peter the comb seller, who in his charity has gre- was grieved for me and remembered me in his devout petitions. Um, so talking a little bit about what we what we talked about last time, which is there are specific time requirements that you're yes. s- you're you're supposed to spend on each tier based on like how many years you were guilty of the of the thing, but you can be fast tracked yes you can't get the special pass that lets you skip the <laughs> line to heaven if people back on earth are like praying for you or if they you know true yeah people who are willing to say good things about I spe- you. and in a couple a couple times throughout these cantos folks ask dante hey could you uh just spare a cup of prayer for me when you get back to earth can me. you just like send one up and help me help me uh move forward a little bit yeah it's very nice of him um she does ask him like literally the least he can literally do, sure <laughs> um she does ask him like what are you doing here and he says my eyes i said will yet be taken from me here but for a short while only for small is their offense and looks of envy because he's so prideful greater is the fear which fills my soul with dread of torments lower down those heavy loads i can almost feel their weight upon me now so still sweating pride really sweating pride and really sweating going to hell like literal hell He's worried about it, I think. Or I thought the lower down torments were talking about was talking specifically about the pride oh, interesting. Tier of purgatory. Oh, you're probably right. Uh, tor- torments lower down those heavy loads. Yeah, okay. Feel their weight upon me now, specifically referring to the the loads that are like bending people's backs down toward the ground. That's on fair. The pride tier. Okay. Yeah. I I just want to go back to the demon biker gang. It's really what I, I want. I honestly am am. Your interpretation would make more sense because it does seem like he's not thinking a lot about all the horrible things that he saw in hell that much. Like he's kind of ha- he's happy to be out and he's happy to be in the moment and experience this place where he is now. But man, it's if it was me, I'd be like, man, I'm still it's like skin horse. I'm still thinking about I would be going around the biker gang. I would be going around all of purgatory just being like, guys, it's not as bad as you think. There's worse than all of this. Have you heard? There's popes getting stuff shoved up their butts down there. Like, do you not know? People turn, like lizards glom onto people and then they turn into lizards. You gotta lay in a poop river and have a centaur light you on fire. Like, this is nothing. You can do this. Yeah, hey, if you, hey, cry, cry for me. Do you, where do your tears fall? I bet it's not in your butt. (laughs) Uh, So we go into Canto 14. 
it opens with this like we meet basically the Statler and Waldorf of Purgatory, um, Guido and Ranieri, who are like, hey, who's this guy who won't tell us who he is? Um, they talk about their sins, which are mostly like envy of neighbors. And I think we learn a little bit more about Ranieri of like his envy kind of begat more bad stuff in his family or something like that. Uh, to be perfectly honest, like this is one of the stories that I was like, what are we talking? We're talking about rivers in Italy and hogs and dogs. Yeah, there are, there are some, I kind of wish, because the, the footnotes in this, as, as I think we've talked about a little bit, um, are tailored toward experts or they're like from the perspective of an, of an expert. Yes. Who, is really interested in showing you how much he knows, but maybe not interested in like filtering out what people will find super relevant and what they won't. Mm. So I think like there are a lot of really good editions of Shakespeare that have like inline footnotes that are just like, Hey, here is the bare minimum context. You need to understand what he's talking about here. Just, and, and they get assigned a lot in school when you're reading Shakespeare to kind of help you through it. And I, I, this is, this is a time where, I wish we had a beginner Dante. Sure. Dante for dummies. That, that was kind of, that was more interested in giving us fewer footnotes, but like a more big picture. Mm, I could buy that. Yeah. I guess. Here's a story. And maybe, about, I mean, maybe that's hard to do. Yeah. I don't know. Because I, I also feel like a lot of what Hollander gets into the weeds about is like, here's a guy who Dante says was born in this town. But we know he's born in this other town. So basically the Divine Comedy is a bad Wikipedia entry that no one was able to edit. And it's like caused some confusion for a hundred years. Yeah. And like here are what three scholars thought about the town question and why it hasn't been talked about enough until now or why it's been talked about too much until now. And you get the whole. And it's like dang. You get the whole dang history of the thing. And that's fun. It just becomes its own thing. but my my strategy for reading this still is to dip into the footnotes like a couple times per canto based on yes based on lines that i just intuitively feel like i either need to understand better to be able to talk about them at all or that like capture my interest sure where i wish there was a an addition that where i wanted to read all the footnotes because they were kind of like short and to the point <laughs> and not about stuff that some guy 500 years ago said about dante that's fair enough i i understand I i'm i'm there are different different audiences for for different things and obviously the, like the footnotes here are really impressive in their meticulousness but I don't find them as useful as I want to because I am just not up for reading all of them. Yeah, and and maybe I would be interested to hear from listeners who might have some other thoughts on this. I think one of the things we run into here is that Dante will just throw 30 names at you on one page or not give you a person's name at all and just be like, a guy who looked like a pope made a weird face and like you and like his his readers at the time would have known of course this is who he's yeah, talking about yeah. But yeah so it's a mix of like anything that is named there is a presumption of knowledge of and anything that isn't there's an even stronger presumption of like you can discern who this is because i'm subtweeting them in my sick poem um, <laughs> and like that is where the footnotes are most useful but it also means that you are there's debate over which pope he's you know yelling about um 
Anyway, we're in the envy. I envy people who understand this poem more than I do. Let's say that. <laughs> um, I'm just mad at them. I'm wrathful about it. <laughs> I will eat them up with my gluttony. Um, we do hear some scary voices after we talk to Guido and Ranieri. Um, I think we hear the voice of Cain, and we hear the voice of a dude named Aglaros, who's from Greek myth. Um, they were both... T- Aglaros was turned to stone... I don't remember what God did to Cain. Just killed him, I guess. I don't remember. Um, but they are both uh, like voices of people who were envious of siblings. And so they are like, we close this chapter on a reminder that God punished these people. Um, and Dante's a little scared. Sure. Um, the next one, we're still, are we still hanging out? This is the one. We're getting into, we're getting, oh, are we talking about 15? 15 is a weird 15 one. 15 did not stick with me. Really? At all. Could not tell you what happens. Yo, it. 15 is bizarre. I kind of dug 15. Um, he's talking to Virgil. First, he's talking about like this bright light that is going on. And how and Virgil's like, don't worry about it. It's just an angel. And when you get to heaven, it'll be easier to look at angels because you'll be one too. Is basically what he's saying. And then uh, Dante wants to know a little bit more about what Guido and Ranieri were talking about when they were talking about things being divided and not being able to be shared. Um, and what does he say? Because your appetites are fixed on things that divided less than each one share, envy's bellows push breath into your sighs. But if love for the highest sphere could turn your longings toward heavenly things, then fear of sharing would pass from your hearts. For there above, when more souls speak of ours, the more of goodness each one owns, the more of oh, love right. so is burning in that cloister. This is just talking about... Um... Socialism? <laughs> well... <laughs> Kind of, yeah, yeah, but yeah, just re- referring to like this this resource is not expendable. Like it, yes. it is a thing where the more you the more you give, the more you have essentially. And so you your mindset is very earthly. You're thinking about it in terms of if I give somebody something, then I have less of it. It's very John Lennon's imagine. Yeah. It's very like. I mean, it's very. It's very. The end from Abbey Road. Okay, that too. What other Beatles songs the, is it like? Love the, well, Imagine is not a Beatles song. Uh, but at the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. Like that's Yes, the, and, and I think Virgil even says like it refracts like a mirror, which almost makes it like more. Like it's like a, it's a fusion reactor of love from God is what it right. is. Um, right. And then he says, but you don't want to you don't want to have the like the control rods <laughs> in your <don't>. love reactor <laughs> explode and irradiate everybody with love. Oh, no. Um, and then Virgil's <laughs> like, yo, I know I just lectured you about what what God's love is for a while. If you don't believe me when you meet Beatrice, she'll tell you and she'll uh, she'll she'll get you straight. And we got to get those. We got to get those peas off your head is what he says. Um <laughs> And then Dante has some visions. Do you remember this? You think Dante just like fell asleep on the couch yes. and somebody wrote like drew a bunch of peas on Correct. his head, and now that's why we're that's why we're doing this whole thing. Italian Vandal. That's what that show is. <laughs> um, so then he has a bunch of visions of uh, not wrathful people, 
but I guess like merciful or meekness or whatever the opposite of being angry all the time is very forgiving. Yeah. Meek meekness, I guess is the opposite of wrath here. Um, it's, and I had to read this one again. Like I, I, when I first read this, I was like, what is happening? It's dreams. It's what is it? It's TV. Who knows? Um, he sees Mary being very understanding of whatever Jesus was doing. Um, he sees a, I think he died. No, this is not when he died, is it? I think it's earlier than that. I think it's when he like disappeared for Easter, and then he was like at the temple. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm. I think it's a. There's a reference because it's talking about like him being gone Gone for for three days. days, Yeah, sure. And I can. I was. I was thinking of the one (laughs) very famous time where he was gone for three days. Sure. Well, maybe it's not Easter because he didn't die yet, so it's probably Passover. (laughs) I don't think Jesus celebrated (laughs) Easter. Um, there's another one of like a king who's merciful and then he see the third one then I saw people aflame with burning wrath which I made a note that they sound like super saiyans um, stoning a youth to death and each one screaming to himself kill kill and then they like stone this kid to death and he looks up to heaven and like begs for their forgiveness or something Um, cool neat and Virgil's like, what's wrong with you? And he's like, I had visions. And Virgil's like, yeah, I know. Let's walk in this smoke cloud. Let's get in this smoke Let's cloud. Let's walk and talk, yeah. Um, you want to tell me about this smoke cloud in the 15th, can- the fif- 16th, 16th, which is right. the 50th of the whole Commedia, um, um, if my math is correct. Yeah, I'm just trying to find like a, like an entry point. Um, So this, this is the one where they talk a lot about free will right yes like the, the passage i have highlighted is he, he's talking to somebody he's talking to a dude it's, named um, marco 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 yes uh marco polo and they are all Ooh, no, it's not it's not marco they are polo, s- all walking joke. around in the smoke monster from lost um because they are in a like a blinding cloud of anger and they start talking to Marco. So what does Marco talk mm. about? And Marco uh, says, Brother, the world is blind, and indeed you come from it. You who are still alive assign each cause only to the heavens, as though they drew all things along their necessary paths. If that were so, free choice would be denied you, and there would be no justice when one feels joy for doing good or misery for evil. Yes, the heavens give emotion to your inclinations. I don't say all of them, but even if I did, you still possess a light to winnow good from evil, and you have free will. Should it bear the strain and its first struggles with the heavens, then rightly nurtured, it will conquer all. So basically saying, you know, if you just like blame all your problems on God, you're kind of shirking responsibility and like selling yourself short simultaneously. Right. Like the only the only way, the only reason why doing good stuff is important at all is because you have to decide yourself to do it right it's it's not a prescribed thing yes and god in this you know system god gave us free will so that we would do that in order to become closer to god and if we you know go for it therefore if the world around you goes astray in you is the cause and in you let it be sought in this i will now be your informant yeah he then goes on to talk about Italy for a while, and how- <laughs> I got I gotta I gotta be totally honest with you. As soon as we start talking about like Florence again, my eyes are starting to kind of glaze over at this. So point. this one I did like kind of dig into a little bit because I found it interesting. Um, he go- he starts he's like okay he's talking about free will. 
And then he says, therefore, there was need that laws be set to act as curbs, need for a ruler to discern at least the tower above the one true city. Um, yes, there are laws, but who takes them in hand? No one, because the shepherd who proceeds may chew his cud, but does not have cleft hooves. I was reading a little bit about that, and that may be a reference to Dante's least favorite pope, Pope Boniface VIII, um, who like abuses his power and sets a bad example for the people and has... Uh, chewing the cud is like, yes, I do read the Bible and I talk about it a lot, but not having cleft hooves means that the church and the state are one. So he argues for an, a separation of church and state in Italy for like two pages is what he's doing here. Um, okay. You know, spread the word then that the church of Rome confounding in herself two governments stumbles in the mud, befouling herself and her burden. Uh, Basically, Marco's upset at what has befallen Italy, which is the only world that Dante knows. <laughs> and it's there is one point where he meets like a French person. Yeah, and I'm like God, finally somebody who's not from Italy. <laughs> Gee whiz, <laughs> Hugh Capet or whatever his name is. He's like the <laughs> uncle of every French king, and he has a sad story to tell. But yeah, I, thought I this... think it gets back around to Italy eventually, but man, I was so glad for it not to be about Italy I... for like two seconds. I do find interesting that like we go from a, a discussion of free will, and I like that discussion as much as I like the the previous discussion of like what it is for like love and what Virgil's talking about, the, the moral socialism stuff, um, but... Then we we logically extend free will to like, well, if we have free will and we have like a church, what does the church do? And the government, which is like separate and built by man, what does that do? And there's like a utility that Marco is exploring of like having them be separate um, because the abuses of power of them being the same, like lessen your relationship to God or whatever. Sure. Uh, yeah. I think that's just interesting. Thomas Jefferson probably would have liked this part. Right? Does he's the one who they sure. think they credit with like separate but equal? That's not church and state. Sure, let's let's call it that. That's maybe it was him. I don't know. He's a jerk. <laughs> I know as much about it. I feel it, like if you if you if you are trying to sound smart, I feel like you just gotta go for it. Yeah. Because if you're like, oh, was that Thomas Jefferson say that? You'd sound stupid whether you're right or not. Whereas if you say, yeah, Thomas Jefferson said that, you're kind of flipping a coin, you know? Yeah, that's true. People can only write so many emails correcting me in one day. So that's, yeah, that is true. Um, we go into Canto, what, seven, 18? 17? I believe uh, my Kindle app is busted. I think it is 17, but th this is the sloth one, right? I think this the one is. Where we start to get into sloth. I think this is the sloth one. Because we are, we're continuing our journey and he gets to a point where um already the sun's last rays before the night were slanting up so high above us that stars were showering here or stars were showing here and there oh my strength why do you drain away i said but only to myself because i felt my legs had lost their power um, we had reached a point at which the stair ceased rising higher and we stopped as does a ship that comes to shore mm. um yeah, sweet father, tell me what is the offense made clean here in the circle that we've reached? If our feet must rest, do not arrest your words. 
And this is a classic Dante thing where he asks a simple question that could get a one word answer and he gets many, many paragraphs in response. Yeah, that's true. But it's, yeah, it's the interesting thing about how sloth is, is framed here is it has, there are a lot of elements of envy to it. I feel like. Ooh, interesting. Really? Um, there is, there is the one hoping to excel by bringing down his neighbor who for that cause alone longs that from his greatness, his neighbor be brought low. There is the one who fears the loss of power, favor, honor, fame. Should he be bettered by another? The so aggrieves them that he wants to see him fall. And there is the one who thinks himself offended and hungers after vengeance. And he must then contrive another's harm. So, you kind of sit around hoping that other people make you look good by failing themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's just kind of interesting. I think though that that's him describing the stuff that comes before sloth. Cause then he says all these, I mean, we're definitely, we're definitely getting to sloth there though. Right. Like the, the slowing down of, of the journey is a reference to sloth, yeah? I don't... Like his limbs getting heavy? Oh, well, that's... No, that's true. I think in the, the section you just read, though, is Virgil being like, oh, I'm gonna... Let me lay out what we just said. Because he's talking He's talking about all the sins through the lens of love. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Because um, then he says, all these three forms of love cause weeping down below. Now I, now I would have you consider yet another which pursues the good and faulty measure... Um, everyone. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. And so he says, if the love that draws you on is laggard to know or have that piece, this terrace after just remorse torments you for it. Okay. Yes. Yes. You're right. Because the slot tier is all about like, you wanted to do good stuff. You just like didn't do it very quickly or you didn't get around. to. Yeah. You didn't get around (laughs) to loving God enough. Like you thought about it and you knew that you should do it and you knew that you should do good things, but like you had other stuff to do. Um, So the opposite of that is like zeal. And so you get um, like images of Mary going in haste. You get some other people who like raced to do things. Um, and the former slothful run around in a circle like forever. Cool. <laughs> They're stuck like <laughs> running in circles, I guess. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, oh, you who with keen fervor make amends, perhaps for your past negligence and sloth in being lukewarm to do good. This man who is alive, indeed, I do not lie, is eager to ascend at day's first light. Tell us then, where is the nearest opening? These were my leader's words, and one of those spirits answered, Follow us, and you will, you shall find the gap. We are so filled with our desire to keep on moving, we cannot rest. Pardon us, then, if our just penance seems discourteous. And then, uh, I, I'm an abbot. I was in Italy, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, we talk a little bit about that. So then we go into, is Avarice next? We haven't gotten, we, we are not at Lust, right? Lust is a ways from now. No, this is um avarice and prodigality. Yeah, and like zeal and whatever. Well, zeal's a good thing. You want to be zealous. You want to be excited about things with your yeah, love. Just, I'm, right. I'm looking at the kind of the outline of the thing. Oh, sure, 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 sure. Cuz again, there are there are a lot of these middle cantos in this run that I just kind of I don't I don't know what it is. Like it's I know that Paradiso is going to be hard to like read and absorb. Mm, mm-hmm. I am just, I'm, I'm finding sometimes the way that this is 
like goes off on tangents and comes at its topic sort of sideways yeah. to be it's it's making it a little hard for me to get into whereas with hell you get into like the oh yeah this is this is fun imagery where people crying to their butts turn the lizards <laughs> their trees if you break off the branches and whatever like this this is much less about what is happening to people and the stuff that is happening to people is more even if it's not abstract, it's just not as like visually interesting. Yes. Like, oh, you were slothful in life, and so you just have to like run around all the time. Yes. That's not that doesn't give us a lot to chew on. I really liked the la- like the the first eleven cantos. I did enjoy, I think, more than I enjoyed these, because they were like setting up the rules of purgatory, which I'm a sucker for. Um Yeah, that's a that's a big thing on our show is like any anytime you have a system that you can explain <laughs> to us that we can talk about, like that is we will spend twenty minutes on it. And that. I and I also I was I don't know that I've done as good of a job of it today here as we record, but like I was into and could see myself digging more deeply into the poem's interest in what free will is and this like idea of all of the sins being based on either like failures to or perversions of love like I think that is an interesting way to look at human behavior um but and I also like that purgatory has the thing that we complain a lot about in hell which is or the inferno rather which is like why are these people being punished this way and does it ever end and there's the answer is no and why just because god wanted it like god feels very mean in the inferno and this feels much more like well you did this stuff and so you have to do this choreography for 200 years and then you can move on um which is like a thing we were hungry for when we were in the inferno because like what if people ever learned things was a Mm -hmm. question we kind of asked because Dante seemed to be learning things, but all the crying people in the fire did not ever learn anything. <laughs> well, they had their chance and they they blew it. Yes. So, um, so all the people in avarice have to stare at the ground all the time. <laughs> I guess, <laughs> which is like they loved earthly delights. They loved things, which is sort of what Virgil was yelling at Dante about earlier. Like you're looking at things through your mortal lens. You only want things here on this earth and so now you're gonna stare at the earth you sucker um right this is where we meet that french king hugh i mm-hmm. that was a i got lost in what hugh was talking about all of his sons and grandsons who kill people or something yeah but then but then he does get a little later on we, we get into talking about like here are some examples of people who are avaricious then we yes. recall Pygmalion, whose all-devouring lust for gold made him a traitor, thief, and parricide, and the misery of avaricious Midas that came on him for his intemperate demand and must always be a cause for laughter, and so on and so on. Yeah. And then there's a big earthquake. There's a big earthquake, and Dante is like, man, I've got, somebody has got to tell me what this earthquake was about. Please. <laughs> I need to know what the earthquake was. It's like scary and exciting all at once. The natural thirst that never can be quenched except with except with that water the woman Samaritan begged to be given as a special grace tormented me. And in haste, I followed my leader over body strewn along the way and gre- still grieved at their just punishment and just talking and talking about how 
he is he is thirsty for knowledge and this metaphor of of thirst comes up like over and over again the other big metaphor Um, that we've only talked about a little bit is the the falconry metaphors of god as like a but we're all just birds flying around doing our thing and god is in control of whether or not we come back to roost um so the people who have their eyes sewn shut are like falcons i guess which sounds terrible and it's like blind falcons yeah it's really awful captain falcon what if he was blind don't know if you spend enough time in purgatorio like say like a thousand years Mm -hmm. you think you're a uh millennium falcon so the guy so the reason that there was an earthquake was um i got through purgatorio in 10 parsecs uh there is a dude who's like running up the mountain and his name is Statius. You're talking about Statius. You talking about my boy Statius? Yeah, tell me about my, tell me about your boy Statius, Andrew. Statius was Statius was a real guy. He was a uh, a uh, poet from the first century who wrote some. I don't know if I want to say lesser, but definitely like less studied. Like I never studied his his poetry or his like unfinished epic about Achilles or, or any of that stuff. But you have, um, had you heard about him before this? I hadn't heard about him, but I, but I read about him and I could kind of place him in a tradition. And then he, and then he talks about how much he reveres Virgil on this thing. Okay. Um. But yeah, so they, they meet Statius and he is, the thing I found interesting about Statius is, okay, we've got this whole place in hell that is specifically for people who like who existed before Christianity was a thing. And there is researching about Statius. There is literally no historical evidence that suggests that he had converted to Christianity. Yes. Like we're talking about after the death of Christ here, we're talking about, you know, 45 to 96 AD is when he was, uh, or BCE or wait, CE, CE is the, yes, uh, CE. So Christianity was a thing, but was not like, it was not the official state religion of Rome. Like it was still sort of a thing that was being pushed back upon. So it's not like a given, especially a, a, you know, a guy who's writing all these epic poems about these classical figures. Like there is no, there's nothing to suggest he would be a Christian, but in this book, it, Dante says that he is just because, I guess. Yeah, I think I'm trying to figure out where. So I don't want to miss this great moment at the end of Canto 21. They get into the how did you become a Christian thing like later in in right. Canto 22 in a way that I still don't quite understand. But to, I, I forgot why we got into this cul-de-sac about Statius. You at, you were talking about the the earthquake, and they meet Statius, and Statius tells them, uh, "Here it trembles when a soul feels it is pure, ready to rise to set out on its ascent." And next there follows that great cry um, of its purity. The will alone gives proof, and the soul, wholly free to change its convent, is taken by surprise and allows the will its way. So basically, when when folks are ready to move up to the next tier from here, from where they are everybody gets so excited about it that they yell and that makes the earthquake. Yeah. Every time the earthquakes, an angel moves up one step. 
And I, who have been prostrate in this pain 500 years and more, just now felt my freed will seek a better threshold. That is why you felt the earth shake and heard the pious spirits of this mountain. Pious? Pious. Pious, pious spirits of this mountain. Praise the Lord. May he soon ri- raise them. Statius is my name. On earth, men often say it, he says. <laughs> my name's Statius, and I'm here to say... I sang of Thebes and then of great Achilles every single day. And he's like, oh, I loved the Aeneid. Oh, man, if only I had, I could have been on Earth when Virgil was there. And v- I mean, the Aeneid, when I wrote my poems, it was my mama and my nurse. Without it, I would not have waited a dram. To have lived on Earth when Virgil lived, I would have stayed one year's son longer than I owed before I came forth from my exile. These words made Virgil turn to me with a look that silent said, keep silent, but the power that wills cannot do all it wills. Virgil's just looking at Dante. And Virgil's just like, just be cool, just be cool. Dante, don't, for one second, be don't cool, Don't be a narc, Dante. Like, this guy is clearly a big fan. Like, I don't, just don't tell him that it's me. And Dante starts laughing, and he, like, can't hold it back. And Virgil's like, fine, just tell him. So your great labor may end in good, he said. Why did your face just now give off the sudden glimmer of a smile? Now I'm caught between one side and the other. One bids me hold my tongue. The other urges me to speak so that I sigh and my master understands. Don't be afraid to speak, he says to me. (laughs) Yes, speak. Tell him what he's so keen to know. And I begin, perhaps you wonder, ancient spirit, at my smiling, but I would have a greater wonder seize you. This one who guides my eyes on high is the very Virgil from whom you took the power to sing of men and of the gods. If you believed another reason caused my smile, dismiss that as untrue and understand it was those words you spoke of him. Already he was stooping to embrace my teacher's feet, but Virgil said, brother, do not do so, for you are a shade and you behold a shade. Oh, brother. Oh, brother. (laughs) So Statius is kind of fun. This is the best. This is my favorite passage in this entire run (laughs) is this. I mean, we've already talked about we're suckers for when Dante just cannot be chill about the cool dead people who he's meeting. And so now he is so... He is so anxious to do this name drop to just like prove that he knows somebody cool <laughs> that he can't keep a lid on it. And Virgil's like, God, okay, I'm dead. Nothing matters. It's fine. Just do it. There's also like a cool thing where like Statius is a Dante stand in too. Like he is an accomplished poet who gets to meet Virgil in the afterlife and they get to hug and stuff. And like, man, that is all Dante wants. Like, I think he wants to be able to. I mean, he actually wants to not get banished to limbo where Virgil lives. But if he, he just want, he wants Virgil to think he's cool, and yes. it's so clear that Virgil doesn't think he's cool <laughs> that I think maybe we're dealing with a bit of an inferiority That's complex fair. here. Because then we go into Canto Twenty Two, and like Virgil is like super jazzed to hang out with Statius and like talk to him about all the poets in the afterlife. It's like they strike up a real friendship. It's kind of sweet. And Dante like is just maybe like state maybe everybody's always trying to talk to Virgil about uh, the Aeneid, but maybe Stace just knows like the deep cuts. Yes, that Virgil is actually excited to talk about. I think like he when does. Our friend, like when our friend Ben met uh, uh, Sean Aston, <laughs> and Ben was the Ben was the only one in that line who didn't want to talk to him about Lord of the Rings, but wanted to talk to him about 
Encino Man and his minor role on one season of the show 24. Oh my god. <laughs> and Sean Astin was very excited about it. Yeah, he's a he's a fan. Uh yeah, so he says, therefore um, if I to purge my sins have been among those shades who weep for avarice because they're asking why he's going to go to the avarice tier. This has befallen me for the opposing fault. Um, but when you sang the savage warfare between the twofold. Oh, is this him talking to Virgil? Yeah, this is him talking to Virgil, right? When you sang the it's savage. Sometimes hard to keep track of who's talking to who about who. Yeah. It's hard to know because he's talking about um, when you sang the savage warfare between the twofold sorrows of Jocasta said the singer of the Eclogs. Oh no, that's Dante be like doing a Virgil deep cut. God dang it, I can't keep this poem straight. I thought that it was I'm glad that we I'm glad we've both had issues where we've gotten confused about exactly where we are in this in this run of games. Yeah, it's really rough. Um Statius goes on to credit Virgil with basically making him both a poet and a Christian um and like being a good person. Uh, so then he was baptized before in my verses. I had led the Greeks to the rivers of Thebes, but from fear, I stayed a secret Christian long pretending. I was still a pagan more than four centuries before I was lukewarm. Did I circle the fourth terrace? Um, so yeah, that's, I guess, Dante's historic Liberty of what and who Statius was perhaps. He's got a few liberties that he takes. Yep. Um, and then Virgil talks to Statius about all the cool poets that live and characters from Greek, you know, writing that oh, live right. down like in he's limbo. Just, like talking to him about like, oh, I know all these cool folks. Yep. Yes. And we do live in hell, but it's like pretty. Everybody's pretty famous down there. <laughs> uh, and then yeah, I highlighted this. I highlighted this yep. bit. It's um. Uh, oh, here we are. Uh, Euripides is with us there, and Antiphon, Simonides, and Agathon, and many other Greeks whose brows were once adorned with laurel. So it's both, it's both bragging, but also a little melancholy, right? Yeah. It's like these, these brows were once adorned with laurel, but now we all kind of live in this, in like the nice part of the bad neighborhood <laughs> together. <laughs> yep. And we can never leave. We never get to leave. Uh, Statius gets to leave. He was never down there. But um, so then they make their way into the next terrace, which is going to be about gluttony. And they come across a tree uh, that's like sort of upside down. It's not really upside down, but it's like you can't climb it. It's its boughs go the opposite way for some reason. I don't really know what that might symbolize. <laughs> um, it's a fir tree. Um, so its branches kind of bend down. It's hard to climb. I mean, it's kind of Satanish, right? Mm. Like you, you cl- climbed up him. You climbed down oh. him to go up. Oh, it's as a fir tree. Yes, it is like Satan's butt. You're right. It's kind of like Satan's butt. This tree that's shaped like Satan's butt shows up, and they hear voices coming out of it. Um, that's like, oh, this is a food that you shall lack. You know, Mary threw a party and she didn't care what she ate. She just wondered what everybody else was going to eat. Yeah, no, nothing bad ever happened to anybody in the Christian pantheon who ate something from a tree. Nope, never. That they weren't supposed to eat. Okay, can we be done? I'm so tired. Yeah. So this is like an introduction of gluttony and we'll find out what is going to happen to the people there. Um, yeah, that's the that's how far we made it. Yeah, I'm not I'm not 
I will not say that I found these sloggy because I didn't. I'm just, I, they sort of fused into a big lump for me. I, and there are some, there, there are definitely some things I could pick out of it. Like all the stages stuff is pretty good. The free will stuff is good. Like there, there are some individual anecdotes that are, that are good, but. And the envy, the envy punishment is pretty like iconic. Um, but you're right. It doesn't have the same hard divisions between for something that is literally a mountain with like seven layers the cantos themselves really run together. Well, and I, I and part of why that is is they're they're like structured like a season of Netflix drama. <laughs> like they don't like one canto does not correspond to one tier. Yeah. Or even if you could do like two cantos in one tier, yes. it's it's like okay, we'll spend like a canto and a half here, and then we'll spend two cantos over here, and then three and a half over here, and. And sometimes a new canto will signify the start of a new tier and a lot of the time it won't. And it's just, it makes it harder to track where we are and what we're supposed to be talk about, talking about as I, as I think we've found a couple times as we've, as we've gone to talk about stuff. Like there, there are a couple of, you got your chocolate and my peanut butter passages. Mm. Like you got, you got your sloth and my wrath. <laughs> I, no, you got your wrath and my sloth. I, I expected there to be a more rigid structure in what the poem was talking about like i i was because well, it's it's inherently structured like yes. the whole the whole poem is is like it revolves around this thing with the with these clear tears and each tear is its own thing but then the the way the poem is actually written kind of ignores the tears as as like discrete areas i guess yeah. if that makes yep, sense yep 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 and and for something that is so mathematically precise in terms of number of cantos and the lines in the canto and things like that, to then be like, well, on this terrace he has weird visions, and on this terrace the angel's just like, nah, go ahead, and on this one the angel just draws a bunch of peas on his head. It's like feels, I don't have a sense yet of like why some are different than others, and that it doesn't feel like it's building in that way, so I do get lost. Um, yeah, and we and he talked to the, and then we'll wrap it up. But talked about how as you go up, the climb gets easier, and that yeah, and 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 maybe we'll get to it a little bit later. Like maybe as you get closer to the top, it becomes more visibly easy, and that and that will come back, and and we'll talk about it some more. But I guess I was expecting that to provide more of a shape to the climb, yes, in a way that we haven't really gotten that much of. Yet. I was also expecting him to have to like Mega Man each tier terrace a little bit more, like there'd just be like a boss that he would have. Well, to... like and acquire the power of zeal and like acquire. Oh, and you, you and then Z, and and sloth is weak against zeal, so you use the sloth yeah, power and then get equipped go. with sloth is what I'm saying. Um, and also rush jet. <laughs> Man, if you had rushed jet, you could just skip over all of Purgatory. You could go all the way to the top if you. I mean, as long as you could find some of those big, like diamond bloops that recharge your rush power. Yes, correct. You, know, you got the circle bloops that recharge your yeah. life, and then the colored bloops that recharge your weapon energy. Yeah, that's, those are the technical terms. Doctor Light mm-hmm. called them bloops. Um, bloops. Doctor Light are the one true savior. Let's. <laughs> um, Dr. Wiley. <laughs> out of here. Thanks <laughs> to everyone for listening to our Purgatory Hellboys podcast. Uh, if you have thoughts about your sins, 
don't send them. Send other things to overduepod at gmail.com. <laughs> I mean, if you want to, <laughs> I guess I'd read about your sins. Um, hit us up on social media, twitter.com slash overduepod, facebook.com slash overduepod, and to the website, go. Overduepodcast.com. Got a bunch of links up there, yep. including to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash overduepod. If you want to... You already know about that one, probably, because you might be hearing this early. Yes, but. and if you're not, if you're hearing the combo episode, please go to patreon.com slash overduepod for more information on how to get these early. Next time, we are going to wrap up Purgatorio, Cantos 23 to 33. And then who knows what happens? Go up to heaven. Hopefully. Yeah. What if it, what if we we'll spend, seven, we'll spend seven whole minutes up there? <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. What if they ever, what, what if we took a turn in what? What if we what if the third book wasn't in heaven? Surprise. Where would it be? I don't know. I haven't been there yet. Okay. Cool. You know what? <laughs> good thought. You know what we say at the end of every episode, Andrew, of Hellboys? What do we say? We do always say Brother, do not do so, for you are a shade and you behold a shade. (laughs) 